Welcome to Icons in the Making. I'm your host, Heather Stern, CMO at Lippincott, the creative consultancy behind some of the world's best brands. Join me as I sit down with the leaders of today's most influential brands. You'll hear stories of transformation and walk away with a new perspective on what it means to be an icon. This is Icons in the Making. Today, I'm speaking with Laura Mendonca, a design leader, educator, and ethicist. Born in Brazil, now based in London, she works for Twitter as a senior manager of product design. Lara believes design has the power to change our relationship to technology for the better and has built a career that belies her age. Before Twitter, Lara was at Bumble as head of product design, where she played an instrumental role in the company's blockbuster IPO. She's a star in her own right, having been featured as one of Adweek's 2021 Pride Stars and on Fast Company's Queer 50 list. She's bold and brave and always brings a dose of humor. And so I am so excited to welcome her here today. Hey, Lara. Hi, I'm really excited to be here. All right, getting down to business. So you joined Twitter just a few months ago and you referred to it as your dream job. What excited you about the role and how has it been going? I think I got really excited because it's um, one of the few social media that I've used religiously for like 10 years. So, you know, Instagram, I don't really check that much. Facebook, I don't even have an account anymore. But Twitter has been in my life consistently. And it's how I made friends when I moved to the UK. So I, I didn't know anyone. And following people from the design industry in the UK allowed me to build this network that now I don't think I would be where I am without it. So Twitter has a lot of sentimental value for me. And then there's also the side of what I'm doing at Twitter, which I think is really exciting. I am really passionate about social media and the role social media has in our society and in our friendships and relationships. And being in one of those teams that is responsible for improving things and changing things and challenging things, just really exciting for me. I'm just really, really happy to be here. You're part of the creation and conversations team, which is the coolest name for a team. And in one of the announcements, it talked about how excited the company was that you'd be bringing a philosophy of designing for inclusion and safety to a platform like many that has been known for bullying. Tell me what that looks like and how you're bringing that sentiment of safety and inclusion to the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. I think there were like two facets to it. One is within the team culture. So Twitter has really changed the makeup of the teams to really be diverse. I think this is probably the most diverse team that I've ever worked with. There's a lot of different identities and people from all over the world as well. So that's one side. I think they really wanted someone who believes in building a culture that follows that philosophy. And then on the other side, I do think that Twitter is one of the few companies that is facing the challenges of social media and everything that has happened head on is not hiding behind changing a name or saying that we're doing things, but they're not actually showing. So Twitter is creating this idea of designing in the open. You might have seen some threads on Twitter from designers who work at the company showing concepts, not even live yet. Just what do you guys think about this and getting feedback? So that's something that is happening internally, and that is reflecting on a lot of the things that we put forward recently, giving more control to users and thinking about how do we respect people's freedom on Twitter, but still create a 
kind, positive environment. And those are things that I'm focusing on. I'm really excited about working in helping people build deep relationships at Twitter. I think Twitter is a great source of knowledge. But if you think about how many friendships start at Twitter, I think we could be doing a much better job fostering those friendships and helping people find their tribe or their own people. So that's what I'm really excited about at the moment. Everything I do is through a lens of helping users who are vulnerable or who might need a bit more help getting there or a bit more protection getting there to kind of have a great experience. It feels like a shift to me as far as the Mm -hmm. role that Twitter can play in actually building meaningful relationships. You talk a lot about your own background and how that's influenced how you think about design. Tell me about how your upbringing has impacted what you do and how you do it and and how you're bringing that to the work today. I think for me, coming from a different continent to the UK that is considered poor or underdeveloped, I faced a lot of things. I came from a background that not many people at the top of the industry making those decisions have seen. And I'm seeing more and more people like me get there, like working class, from other countries. And and I I love that. I think that's super important. And it formed who I am as a designer. So when I came to the UK and I saw an industry that was basically responsible for how people deal with everyday things, important things, for example, food delivery. I know a lot of people who worked at Uber, but my dad used to deliver food in London through those apps. And when I tell them like what the reality is of the job, they were kind of shocked and they did use the research. So I'm like, there's a disconnect there. And I think that's what I always saw is that me user, me person, and me as a designer, there's a divide because people expect me to have the same understanding of other people like they do. But I have my personal side, you know, the fact that I have ADHD, so some things for me are just hard to do and I have to find my own ways of doing them. All those things, all that reality seeps into the job and there's no way to not do that. So it has helped me challenge some things that I didn't agree with. It has helped me empathize. But I think above all, it just is something that is needed. People who are not what you expect when you think of a designer they bring a lot to the table that I think is missing in this industry, especially when we're making decisions that impact everyone. It's a topic I think that has been front and center for a while and it's continued to grow. And the notion that it isn't goodwill, it's actually good business sense to bring on individuals with different backgrounds who were born in different places, who had different struggles. And and it's really exciting, even through this podcast, the people that I've been talking to and how there isn't this mold that we're all trying to now shape ourselves into. And in fact, there's a celebration of that. When I've read some of the things that you've talked about and that you've been an advocate for, I'm inspired by you being open. Have you always had that in you? I'm not going to say it was easy to get where I am. And I think that there's still miles for me to go in and being more unapologetic. But I think when I was a teenager, I was constantly trying to fit a mold, pretend that I was straight, pretend that I was like everyone else. I was also always overweight and I was constantly unhappy with my body, with my life, with the clothes that I could buy, all this stuff. So I was really unhappy as a teenager. 
And when I became an adult, I looked at that and I was like, I don't want another 10 years, 20, 40, 50 years of that life. I kind of have to accept who I am. And that's kind of what I started doing. And it took years to undo some of those things and be like, the stuff that I like is interesting. The person that I am is enough. I don't have to pretend to be anything else. But I will definitely say that to bring that into work, it took me getting stability. So what I tell people is you are not obligated to bring yourself to work. If you don't feel confident, that's a good business decision. Carve a place for yourself where you're like, okay, I found a company that will understand who I am, or I am senior enough that people will respect me. And then you start to kind of challenge the status quo. So I won't say that I was always like that. Personally, I kind of was always very vocal about stuff. But at work, it took me being senior and being like, okay, if they fire me, I can get another job. I can tell them who I actually am and what I'm unhappy about and what accommodations I need. And they either listen or I walk. The confidence can be there, but you also need to protect yourself. So that's my advice. At a very young age, you've been able to really understand and value your worth and what you're bringing to the table and recognizing that requires you to be open and honest. And so it is amazing that you've been able to find roles that have embraced that. So let's talk about Bumble a little bit. The design work that you did as Bumble was preparing for its really successful IPO. Tell me what it was like to work with Bumble during that time. Bumble was a very transformative experience for me for a few reasons. I think, first of all, Bumble was the first time I went into a room with leadership and it was more women than men. So that was shocking to me. I felt like, is this real? Like, is this happening? All the leaders that I worked with immediately, the head of product, the head of research, they were all women. So while everyone was saying we need to be neutral because we might have conservatives and liberal consumers, Bumble was like, no, we have a point of view. And the point of view is that you need to respect people. So if you are racist towards another user, we're not going to excuse that just because you're free to do that legally. We have our own point of view, what is good and bad in this product that we own. That to me was kind of a wake up call to be like, oh, it doesn't have to be the way we were thought. And then the other thing I think that was really good for me personally and professionally was I joined Bumble and Bumble had a really underdeveloped kind of immature design team. Well, it was one designer working on a huge product, very famous at the time. And I was really shocked by that, but they were also very eager to grow it and change it. So they kind of gave me a lot of freedom to be like, let's hire a bunch of people. Let's build this team. Let's work with product to do it whatever process you think makes sense. So I was able to help build a process that makes sense. I was able to hire a team that I really believed in. I wish I could take them everywhere with me because they're amazing. So those things are really valuable to me. And I think that's what was so successful about Bumble. The whole company was shifting together at the same time. It sounds like a thrilling time and to work for a brand that very much aligns with your values, right? What was the most challenging part of when you look back at that time so fondly and having grown, I'm sure, so much from it? What was tough about it? The kind of hyper growth thing is just that things move really fast and they are not all organized. I already feel overwhelmed easily. I got my ADHD diagnosis in the middle of that process and I got burned out many times. And one of the reasons I decided to leave is 
I need to learn from other people instead of building everything. So I think that's what kind of motivated me to even leave because I was really happy with the work. But definitely the biggest challenge was just everything was so urgent. Everything was kind of messy, but you cannot keep doing this forever. It was quite intense. It sounds like it was the perfect time when this opportunity came to you. Tell me about the backgrounds and skill sets of some of the team, about ultimately who you're reporting to in terms of where you sit within the broader organization. So I report to a design director. His name is Joshua Harris. And he's honestly everything that I was looking for when I was almost like at the top of the design chain at Bumble. So he's amazing. And he's the design director for creation and conversations. And then within that team, I lead a couple of teams. One is called relationships. And it's what I mentioned about people building relationships. And the other one is profiles and identity. So that one is all about how your profile you know, works, like accounts and all of that stuff. What was the thing that finally made you think, okay, this is the right move for me? So when I was approached, I was still very happy with my job at Bumble, but at the same time, Twitter was the dream job. So I was like, sure, I will talk to someone. And I thought they were going to put me through to a talent acquisition person, but they booked a chat with Dentley, the chief design officer, who I've known, exchanged messages on Twitter a few times, and who I think is one of the most influential people in design in the world right now. So I was like, oh, okay, that is a high stakes conversation. (laughs) But actually, he just wanted to answer all my questions because he knows how passionate I am about social media. Talking to him really made the decision for me. I was like, I want this job. And then I, I still had to go through the whole interview process. But I was like, now I really want it. Because when you talk to a leader, you will get one of two things. You either get someone who you see the values in them and you understand what they really are pushing for. Or you see someone who kind of is a yes man and will just do whatever the people around him are trying to do. And he's someone who I know has been trying to push the envelope and kind of make sure that design is an asset within Twitter. It was just a great conversation and it really made the, the decision for me. That's amazing. You've been working in the tech space for a while and things are changing so fast. How do you stay on top of everything that's happening and what the new behaviors and expectations are of the users. Designers have to be very curious about the world. I think if a designer is just a craft person, they will really struggle to survive as a designer and kind of really thrive because the craft is 10% of the job. And many people would disagree with me, but I come from a kind of classic design, graphic design education. And a lot of what I learned there, I still use. But when I think about what designing is to me, a lot of it is just decision-making. It's just understanding the world around you, experimenting, going out there and really understanding what's going on. So an interest in things like politics, technology, philosophy, science, like anything that you're interested outside of design will help inform what you create. So that's what I always tell people. If you are a designer and your only interest is design, well, that's not going to really take you very far. In being a successful designer who has the right values, they won't really challenge the status quo or build anything outside of what's now. 
a lot of people are content to build what's already being built everywhere. But if you want to innovate, you need to kind of think outside of the box. So I started to really get into things that are not design related. I always try to understand politically what's happening because I think that informs us, especially if you're dealing with things like policy, which a lot of social media, you have to be great at understanding public policy. So I would just say, get out of the field, get out of the craft or the design system or Figma or all that stuff that we see a lot of online. And instead of like honing those skills, which you can on the job naturally, try to be a person who is very knowledgeable around things that will influence your job, but are not directly related. I've been really interested in ethics recently. When people talk about ethical design, what they are talking about most of the time is design that doesn't harm anyone and that doesn't exist, right? One of the principles of ethics as a field is that there are different ways to think about ethical decisions and in all of them, there is a negative consequence. So for example, you have the trolley problem where that's a classic one, right? You have a trolley and you need to choose if it's going to kill one person that you love or five innocent people. And the answer, none of them are wrong, but all of them have a consequence. And this is a great way to think about design because every design decision will affect someone. There's no agnostic, no apolitical design. So what I want to do is I want to have my own ethical framework. So what I've been doing is looking at different ethical frameworks like virtue, ethics, and just understanding them a bit more. So that's my personal secret. Yeah. Well, it shows a level of commitment and passion for not just surface level understanding. So you have two rules that you kind of live by at work. What are they? So I've always tried to expect that people are coming from a optimistic, positive mindset. Doesn't matter their point of view. So I think assuming positive intent is something that I always do. And I think it's so necessary when you're dealing with colleagues, especially from other teams. So if you're in a room with cross-functional partners and you are trying to decide something, if you assume that someone is doing something for a a bad reason, so they want to be promoted, they want to be more important than other people, then the conversation is doomed because then you're not going to trust their opinion. They're not going to trust yours. Nothing is going to move forward. So the first thing that I do is trust the team and trust people in general. Then the other one is called disagree and commit. And that basically means that you need to be vocal about what you disagree with. So it's not just accept or compromise with everything. So if you're designing something and you see that it's going to a bad place, say something, be the person who disagrees. Don't be afraid to disagree. But at the same time, if you are the only voice that is disagreeing, there's 10 people who are like, I don't think you're right. I think you're wrong. Like, let's try this out. At some point, you need to trust the team and commit to what the team is deciding to do. So if everyone is excited about a feature and they're like, I don't know if that's going to work out, commit with them. And then once you commit, the most important thing is that you are not bitter or negative about it. And I think that's where people don't understand. It's more, I disagree and compromise, which means I accept that I'm not getting my way, but then I'm kind of bitchy about it or I'm unhappy about it. The thing is, once you commit, be excited about it like it was your idea, right? Because if it fails, you all fail together. You will learn, things will move forward, but you need to really be like, okay, I love this idea because otherwise you're not going to do a good job. You're not going to be committed to that and 
collaborating and giving your input. So it will be worse for everyone. Those are great. I think that's harder to do, but we'll be more successful in the end. We win together. We lose together. We're a team. So I see you as a thought leader and one that is unapologetic about what you believe and things are changing so fast. As you look to 2022, any predictions or trends that you think we're going to be seeing a lot of as it relates to social media, technology, design, all of the above? There are two things that I think are very much trending right now that I think will survive and mature. One of them is crypto. I am a big critic of crypto as it is, like the kind of zeitgeist, the get rich quickly schemes and the NFTs and all of that. But the underlying technology is really interesting. And I think that will be a big discussion around how will that actually be used now that everyone knows what it is. Whereas before I worked with Ethereum a few years ago, no one knew, no one even understood why we were doing it. So I now see that, okay, it's becoming something that everyone kind of understands the basic level. And the idea is that that means that more people who I think should be involved will get involved versus Silicon Valley. So I think it's like going to expand. So people who actually want to use it for good, interesting things versus making money will start using it. And the second thing, which I think will be very tied to that because of the gas and the environmental impact of crypto is climate change and climate emergency. I do see the next 10 years, a lot of designers turning into that and a lot of resources turning into those problems. I think there'll be a government push, there'll be society push. I'm hoping at least that we start to look at some of those things and start using design and technology to kind of help solve those problems. So this podcast is all about icons, both brands and people and showcasing, as we talked about earlier in the conversation, different kind of icon that maybe people didn't think of as it relates to just who are the leaders that are really working to make a better future. So I consider you one, and I'm so happy that you joined me today. I'm curious, do you have an icon? I have an icon in my life and then an icon that is more of a famous person, kind of parasocial relationship. In my life, my icon has always been my mother. And I know that's a very cliche kind of cop-out response, but I think that's definitely the case for me because like I said, I was very poor growing up and my mother was always someone who, she was way more ambitious than it was expected from her. She decided to apply to become a teacher. And she got into a public job. It was really hard to get into and she got it. And that really changed our lives for the best. And since then, she's been doing a lot of things that I never thought she would be able to do. Like got a a bachelor's in pedagogy, which I think is so amazing. And she's been really pushing herself. And then she retired. But then she was like, I don't like not doing anything. So she started studying genealogy. And now she works as a genealogist for Jewish families who had to flee Portugal. So now she helps them get the citizenship, helping them understand their family tree. And yeah, it's just amazing wow. like how she she's always been so curious. So that for me was the willingness to learn comes from her. She's always been that way and she kind of taught me to be that way. And then if I think about someone who I think is doing a good job and is not close to me, although another kind of cliche answer, I would say Emma Watson. I grew up with her. I loved her as an actress. Never thought she would become an activist first, actress second. 
And I think people like her with her reach doing good stuff is so rare um, that people care enough to just make their whole brand, their whole social presence about that. She became an ambassador for the UN. She's been talking about climate change, feminism online. So it was really cool to see because I always think that with the rise of influencers and celebrities being online, there's trends of looking to their lives as aspirational and everyone wants to be a millionaire now. Everyone wants to live in an amazing decorated house. And when you're a celebrity and you decide to make your whole personality about changing the world and improving it, I think is a big commitment. I don't think I could even do it myself. Just not say anything about me and instead give my account to like an NGO to manage and only share books that I read. Those are both great answers. And I'm sure that you've learned so much from your mom, but that she's learning from you too and how you're kind of going forth in the world. Lara, thank you so much for spending time and sharing your authentic and important lessons and ideas and the path that got you to where you are. I am very, very excited to see how things will evolve for you and also feeling pretty grateful that there is a designer like you behind such an important platform that's working to do something that is good and honest and ethical and spreads more love than anything else. Thank you. I'm really happy that we did this. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, share with your colleagues and friends and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And if you're feeling really generous, leave us a five-star rating. Thanks, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.